When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It is Monday, December 27th, 2021. My name is Weston Nakamura in my apartment in New York, um, for which Ash Bennington has been squatting here for God knows how long at this point. Uh, If you uh, recall, the last time that this happened, um, he basically said that he needs to get his locks changed. Um, And I respond by saying, in language that he might understand, Ash, um, not your keys, not your locks. All right? So, with that said, um, I'm just going to just do a kind of overview of um, what I believe uh, has happened in markets, global markets, cross-asset, over the past week. And uh, this last week of the year um, because I have a what I believe is a pretty differentiated view um, at least from what I'm hearing um, and something to think about Um, now obviously because this is the you know the the last week of the year we're in between you know holidays um, you know Christmas New Year's uh, there is a huge absence of you know market participants Um, And there are also a lot of global market holidays. So, you know, in terms of market holidays, in global equities at least, so today uh, we have Hong Kong, uh, Australia, New Zealand closed for Asia, UK, Ireland closed uh, for EMEA, um, and Canada closed for the Americas. Um, Australia, New Zealand, UK, Ireland, Canada, they remain closed on Tuesday. Um, Friday, which is New Year's Eve, we have... A bunch of early closes in Asia and Europe. Full day of trading in Europe, uh, in the U.S. and Japan is closed. Uh, Japan's also closed Monday after New Year's um, and reopens on Tuesday, January fourth. Um, so a day later than the rest of the the DMs. Now, why does this matter? So in general, you know, I've said this time and again, but market holidays matter for so many reasons. But mainly, um, it's not really because of what markets are or aren't open for trading. But who is and isn't trading, right? And therefore, who is trading and and who is given, you know, therefore a, a brighter spotlight absent these other players that are normally, you know, um, the active market participants with the market influence, the market moving influence, okay? So, for example, like when there's a U.S. specific, you know, a U.S. only holiday, um, those are days to pay attention to in global markets, cross asset not just stock markets, because it allows you to see what market behavior is like absent U.S. investor participation, right? So it's not about what the SPX is doing because the SPX is closed, who cares? But it's what what are the Euro stocks doing? What's the uh, the Hong Kong market doing? What's, you know, single stocks in Japan? Um, what's the Ger- German, you know, boon curve doing? Absent the United States flow, right? Uh, so take Thanksgiving, which the rest of the world calls Thursday. 
uh, and Black Friday, which was a half day. Um, and, you know, it was a half day for U.S. markets, but basically it was still a U.S. market holiday because in terms of market participants, they weren't there. And then what happened, right? So in a 24-hour cycle, we had a minus 5% drop on the Nikkei index uh, futures from open to close, and basically minus 3 to minus 5% down across Europe, both on massive volumes. Um, and so, you know, that is significant because not just because of the moves, but because it was absent the U.S. flows. Now, would it have been different? Nobody would know, right? But it's interesting to kind of watch markets um, and watch for, for, you know, who is not participating and who is. So be aware of these sort of regional holidays, for especially for the major markets. And then I do want to actually specifically talk about the Japan uh, investor presence um, and the influence that it has on global... Uh, across asset markets. First of all, Japan institutional investors include, you know, the world's largest pension fund, which is the GPIF, Government Pension Investment Fund. Um, it's about like 1.6 trillion USD in assets. Uh, the total AUM for, you know, Japan pensions funds exceeds like 300 trillion, like $3 trillion. Um, and, you know, then there are the private pensions and there's banks and insurance companies. Each of those have also a trillion dollars in AUM uh, each, right? Something like the GPIF is currently allocated, you know, quarter, 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 quarter is what I say, right? Like 60, 40 type of thing. It's one quarter domestic bonds, one quarter domestic equities, one quarter foreign bonds, one quarter foreign equities. Those allocations for foreign uh, assets for foreign bonds and equities were stepped up over the last couple of years, and you're starting to see, therefore, much more of um, impact that they have on, you know, on on these foreign uh, foreign markets, such as the U.S. Treasury market and the S&P 500 and Euro stocks, and you know, the entire like European bond market, um, sovereign bond market, and and credit markets, and um, you know, CLOs, and you know, crappy credit and all of that, right? Like the reason that there is, you know, um, negative yielding high yield credit, which is a crazy thing to say. The reason that that exists is largely because of a lot of these flows. Um, furthermore, half of these assets um, from from like Japan pension funds and all that, these are managed um, as outsourced to funds. Um, and of the outsourced, Half of them are domestic and half of them are foreign asset managers. So if you see a foreign asset manager, if you see a U.S. asset manager, you know, trading in U.S. markets, that doesn't mean it's U.S. Um, originated. That could very well be uh, from Japan or some other fund. It could be, you know, Norway, whatever it is, um, that has hired these funds to trade on their behalf. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, and you also have to keep in mind, obviously, global retail. It's not just Robin Hood uh, in the U.S. Uh, global retail had an explosion in 2020 and 2021. So all things to keep in mind. The S&P 500, like I've said, is not a U.S. market. It is a global uh, market with global flows, global participants. And you have to consider things like, you know, what are their respective currencies doing? How are, How's the index performing in their local currencies? Uh, the S&P 500 might be up 25% on the year. It is up 10% more than that um, in yen terms. Japanese investors that have been long the S&P 
year to date have outperformed U.S. on their own index by at least 10%. Why? Because the yen has fallen against the dollar by more than 10% this year. Not everyone has the same 200-day moving average. Not everybody has the same amount of, um, you know, break-even level, right? So these are all things that you have to consider. Um, so again, I'm speaking specifically to U.S.-based U.S. investors because they tend to be very U.S.-centric and U.S.-minded. The bond market is another, you know, perfect example. Oh my God, United States, 6% CPI. Why is the 10-year yield at like one and a half? Because the world of, you know, U.S. Treasury market participants does not revolve solely around U.S. inflation um, or, or or even, you know, the, the Fed for that matter. Um, just again, Japan, the largest foreign creditor to the United States. Japan has a 250% debt to GDP ratio, and it has JGB 10-year yields pinned at 0% due to the Bank of Japan's yield curve control policy. By policy, the 10-year yield on JGBs are at 0%. Um, so what that means is that no matter really what the U.S. Treasury market is doing, what, where the yield is, be it at 80 basis points or 190 basis points, U.S. Treasuries are always yielding more in nominal terms and always like more creditworthy and more safe than JGBs are, even with debt ceiling theater and all of that. They always yield more. They are always technically safer. And with, you know, trillions of cash uh, that need to be invested, that need to find yields, uh, you will always have a buyer of U.S. Treasuries in the name of Japan. Again, on Friday, Japan is closed. And on uh, Monday, when the rest of the markets are open, Japan is still closed. So that means that all of the year-end stuff has to get done by Thursday. So, so if, has to get done by Thursday. So if some massive asset manager in Japan um, is under-allocated to U.S. Treasuries, you might just get a crushing of the curve on, on Thursday like the, 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 the last day for Japan. It's not the last day for the rest of the world. It's the last day for Japan. Or you might not, you know, you might see, um, let's say, a spike in U.S. Treasury yields. Not a spike. Let's say you see a move upwards in U.S. Treasury yields on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Japan comes back and they start to buy up U.S. Treasuries at the start of the new year. Um, and on Tuesday, you get, you know, a, a flattening of the curve. Let's not attribute all these things to just simply like, oh, like this is the latest like Omicron headline or, you know, um, f Fed expectations or inflation expectations. Like, like no, it, it could be as simple as a major region, an active player, just stepped back into the markets. So, and look, again, none of these things could happen potentially, but you just have to be aware of market holidays for that reason. Okay. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, let's talk turkey. So, over the weekend, I released 
another video on the Turkish lira and the insane volatility from this past week. Uh, not only has it been incredible in swings, um, in price swings, but this is really the only global macro asset that's actually actively moving. Now, I'm not going to regurgitate my entire video that I just did, but I'll use some like excerpts from the video itself rather than me summarizing myself. But I definitely encourage you to watch uh, the video after this if you haven't already, just to make sense of what's going on um, and, and what I'm talking about, because I'll probably skip over a lot of things here. Um, but the reason that I'm bringing this up here for this daily briefing is simple. I believe that the lira, the Turkish lira, may have been the asset that put a floor under global macro risk assets across the board last week, and that still remains the case as of this recording uh, midday Monday, um, and may very well continue to, to be um, you know, the, the market driver um, or a significant market driver you know, in, into this last week of 2021 when nobody else is at their desks trading anything actively. Now, first of all, I want to stress something that, again, this should be very obvious, but every time um, that I don't say this, I inevitably get this, like, flood of, like, very stupid pushback. So, once again, here goes. The following are my observations. They are not, like, absolute, like, you know, proven things and events. These are not even de definitive declarations from myself, okay? These are just observations that I've made uh, that many, many, many people have missed, and so therefore I'm merely flagging this alternative possibility uh, of a scenario. And my objective obviously is to be correct, but my ultimate goal is to simply just share a perspective that gets you thinking. And even if I'm wrong, if it sparks some new idea or opens up like a new horizon of thinking for you that may not even have you know any bit of relevance to this particular topic, then that's what I aim to accomplish. So that's the first thing. Second thing, there is no such thing as one single driver of a security or a market, particularly in global macro. With global investors with highly diverse objectives and views and strategies and risk tolerance and capital and so on. So anytime that I or anyone would suggest a potential driver of a market, at no point am I ever saying like, this is the one and only thing, right? So for those of you who are gonna come in with like, no, that's not what moved markets, this is what moved markets. I say, how about they both had potential influence? And how about even further, uh, there are far more things going on that we probably don't even know about than the two things that we've, you know, identified combined, okay? But with that said, you know, let me just establish the following. Last week, I didn't see anyone with a definitive explanation for market price action. Certainly not one with a clear-cut, defined catalyst like, say, a 50% record reverse rally in the lira due to President Erdogan's new policy announcement and the central bank subsequently blasting FX markets and intervening immediately after the, this policy announcement in order to create an illusion of markets' endorsement of this new policy framework. Okay, so here's a clip from the video. Why the V-shaper is gone. Was it Omicron headline number 87 of, of this past week that did it? You know, was it growth and inflation sentiment change number 373 of the past month or the past hour? Or how about uh, it's week of Christmas? Fund managers are not only not working from home, 
but they've long closed out their books for the year. They're not who like who's opening new positions now on the institutional side. So that means that a greater proportion of cross-asset market activity can be attributed to other market participants, such as the ever-growing, massively levered uh, retail community and the systematic community, both of which don't turn off or like take a day off um, or not trade because it's near holidays. The only people who don't trade because it's like holidays are people who trade for their primary work or active institutional investors. Find me a retail trader, and I and I mean like a serious, like, you know, individual investor who says, well, it's the holidays, I'm not checking markets. Like, you know why you're not gonna find that? Because when it's your own money at risk ticking around in live markets, there are no such things as holidays or sick days or half days. The institutional community, that doesn't apply to them. It's work for them. Nobody's trading right now, except for Lira traders. Of the Lira traders, a lot of them cross-hold Bitcoin and equities. And systematic flows further glue cross-asset flows together. So did the Lira reversal put a floor under global risk assets or at least select major global risk assets? I say reasonably possible. Could be a coincidence. But either way, I didn't draw these charts by hand. These happened in markets. Okay, so let me just blast through a couple of charts, um, cross-asset comparison between the Lira uh, and various risk assets, okay? Just to show you my observations of why I believe that the Lira put a floor under risk assets uh, in the past week. Because we saw not just a reversal in Lira, we saw a reversal, you know, um, to the upside in risk assets across the board. And all of these, by the way, are going to be based on USDTRY inverted on the chart. In other words, USDTRY, when that goes up, that means that the Lira is weakening. So what I've done is I've just flipped the uh, y-axis so that it's inverted. So that directionally, if you see this white line going down, that means the Lira is going down. If you see it going up, that means the Lira is going up to make it easier to, to visualize. All right, so let's just blast through these charts. All these have USDTRY inverted. Uh, Bitcoin. There's Lira, there's Bitcoin. Okay? And not like pay attention to not just like where the like that sort of V point like that matches up, but leading into it too, right? So that sell off in the Lira. Like why did Bitcoin sell off in the first place? Well, it could very well be and it certainly looks like it that the Lira, which by the way, Turkish citizens are very active in the crypto community um but it could very well be that the lira had driven it down as well as up so as i flip through these make sure that you look at not just like this sort of v point where they both meet but like the price action around um this sort of pinnacle point okay um and then on to equities here are e-minis s p 500 um index futures okay i mean if you're wondering why u.s stocks V bottomed or and possibly why they even sold off you know in the first place this this could be it um an even tighter correlation is the russell 2000 and you could also see like you know on the way down like at first like you know they they have nothing to do with each other as they really as they shouldn't fundamentally but there are moments where it actually starts to get more and more correlated um as it as it reaches this sort of reversal point 
And then this is the Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong. And this is the Nikkei in Japan. And look at the price action following the reversal. I mean, they're glued in lockstep. And just watch the video and you'll know why. I'll ex I explain why. And then just to wrap up on equities, from a volatility standpoint, or the VIX index, um, if you just look at this, this is basically USDTRY. This is not inverted. So this is how it normally you know, is, USDTRY. And this is how the VIX also normally is. And you can basically see what those two look like stacked on top of each other. Um, in fact, if I zoom out even more, um, basically over the past quarter, you'll see the VIX climb. That looked like it might have been also a uh, trigger, right? From around 9 to 13 that it did uh, in November. This is during like these unnecessary rate cuts that, uh, cuts, yes, cuts, that the uh, CBRT, the Central Bank Republic of Turkey was doing. Okay, so that's it for equities. And now let's just take a look at the treasury market. Um, these are 10-year U.S. treasuries versus the lira. Uh, this is the front end. These are two-year U.S. treasuries. Um, and then finally, uh, crude. Here's crude. So Okay, so we've looked at crypto. We've looked at equities, various equity indices. We looked at equity from a volatility standpoint. Looked at U.S. treasuries um, and commodities, crude. Once again, there's no one in their offices trading right now. And so these sort of flows um, have more of their kind of moment to shine because all of the other flows are absent. And so they can have more of an impact um, on these sort of markets, right? Because who who's trading right now? Who's opening new positions? You know, what active fund managers are, are doing any of this? They're, they're not, right? So Lira traders are the, the ones that are active and you know, you have just a whole ecosystem of systematic flows and algos and um, ARBs that are just trying to, um, th that basically correlate risk assets together. And they just need some sort of fuel. Well, this is the fuel. This is what I believe is, by and large, what's driving, um, what's, what's been driving cross-ass markets. Now, I could be totally wrong. Could be totally something else. Could be all coincidence. But... Um, it's something that I believe should at least be put out there. Nobody's putting it out there. So here I am putting it out there. So now that it's out there, if you, you know, want to put 0% of like, you know, importance or weighting to it or credibility to it, that's, that's totally fine. As long as you're now aware that this has occurred in markets as well, uh, then I've basically done my job. My job is not to convince you that this is like what, you know, like to agree or anything like that. It's just to make you aware. Now, since the release of that video on the Lira, um, you know, over the weekend, Bloomberg had come out basically confirming um, this wacky conspiracy theory of mine, um, and in which it's not actually Bloomberg confirming anything. It's the Turkish officials that were coming out saying um, that they, you know, that they really kind of screwed the uh, the, the little guy. They're they're like local you know, individual, I don't want to call them individual investors. They're just the citizens of Turkey um, that are being forced to be these day traders um, by basically creating this insane volatility. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And last point I'll make about uh, the Lyra and my Lyra video um, is just something I forgot to mention in the video itself uh, that I got a lot of questions about afterwards. By the way, everyone else, th thank you very much for all the feedback and the questions and all that. But um, the CBRT flow that came in, that $7 billion you know, dollars worth of, of you know, FX interventions that came in. So the CBRT may be out of ammo, but th that doesn't really mean anything. That doesn't mean that uh, it's game over for the Lira or, or anything like that either, right? Because the central banks, like, you know, the, their objective was not to push the Lira the entire way, you know, upwards. The goal, first and foremost, was to stop the bleeding, you know, this, like, 100% decline versus the dollar that it had. It was the, you know, the goal was to stop that and then to just smack the market the other way and slingshot it back. Um, and hopefully from that momentum, the domestic Turkish uh, citizens and depositors will then take it from there. Right. It's no different from any other macro fund manager, or, you know, George Soros versus the Bank of England or whoever it may be. Nobody has enough firepower to, to, you know, push the market the entire way, nor, nor is it how you, how would you make a profit of that? You have to, you know, basically front run the crowd or have people come in with their capital behind you. So the goal for them was to stop the Lira. So because the Lira is basically like flat and stabilized, it doesn't mean that they've won or lost, or anything like that. It doesn't mean any of that. They've accomplished that the step one, which is to stop the precipitous decline of the Lira. But the real step is to now get inflows into Lira, into buying of the Lira. That is yet to come, right? So they did the step one, but the step two, we have yet to see if that will actually happen. Um, and again, anybody who is um, concerned with equities, rates, bonds, uh, crypto, commodities, basically all S classes. If any of those concern you, keep an eye on the Lira and what happens. And finally, I'll leave you with this last clip from uh, my video. So I know that for the majority of us, we're just seeing blinking ticker symbols and PL gains and losses, right? But inside Turkey, this is not a financial markets matter. This is a deadly serious crisis. Um, and I come back to Andrew Bailey's commentary on FX volatility for like a nation's currency. It's not so much like a plunge in the currency value that's destructive. I mean, obviously that is, but the path there also matters. And therefore the level of volatility is what matters at this moment. That's what matters more, more so than the directional level of like the Lira. Lira one month realized volatility above Bitcoin is unacceptable. Um, for like a real country currency, right? Keep in mind, like what volatility means. It doesn't mean downside. It means huge price swings. Upside volatility exists too. And it's no more better than downside. So if you're a Turkish citizen with your currency swinging at 100 vol, how in the hell are you supposed to do anything? Like if you think that this 50% rally in the lira over the last over two days is like relief for the people of Turkey. It's not, not at that rate of volatility.
Okay, so think about it this way. If you or I or anyone wants to open a Forex trading account, okay, we can't just do that. We need to prove that we're suitable to trade FX, you know, with, with the broker, like the KYC. Very, you know, varying degrees and all that. So whether or not you agree with, like, you know, these sort of suitability requirements and all that, it's not, it's not the point. The fact of the matter is that trading is not for everybody. Um, so, well, imagine, like, an entire country's citizens who have no choice and are forced into being FX day traders and that their livelihoods depend on it, depend on their, them succeeding at it, um, and you're, by default, a Lira day trader. Like, even opting out so that you don't have to, you know, take this sort of FX risk requires you to take FX risk to do so. To get out of the Lira, right? So here's why volatility is worse than a one-directional plunge in the Lira. You're a regular person with a family in Turkey. Just trying to do the right thing, provide for the family, good person, all that. You know, you're a shop owner, you're a... You run a bakery, uh, you're an auto mechanic, you're a computer engineer, whatever it is. You're a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. And you're not and you're not a macro hedge fund manager, okay? You start seeing the cost of everything like skyrocket, like abruptly, and that every day it's just worse. Every morning when you wake up, your buying power is worth 2%, 5%, 10% less than it was when you went to sleep the night before. Day after day after day. Now, you know that you have to get the hell out of the lira and into dollars or to gold or to bitcoin or to whatever right but i mean usd has doubled in the past month so it makes it that makes it really hard to to chase that right you don't want to chase that but on the other hand it's, it's getting unbearable right so you figure like look at this rate where the lira how the lira is just getting crushed at this rate, by the end of the week, you're going to have nothing left. So, like all human beings who are amateur traders and professional traders, you finally decide to just jump in, right? And you decide to convert the little lira that you have left at this point into dollars at USDTRY18. And for once, you have a kind of sigh of relief that although you could have secured yourself, you know, a month ago and saved like half of your net worth from getting decimated had you acted earlier at least now you have a moment of stability for once then later that evening erdogan and the cbrt blast the market from 18 where you converted down 50 percent in a day as the lira surges and you take a, a, another massive hit that's what volatility does it forces regular people into becoming traders and they do not want to be traders they know that they're not traders and this isn't trading capital this is their lives right they they understandably hold out they take losses to the downside and finally at the lows only to take you know they they, they trade and then only to take another round of losses upon a 50 percent reversal um, and this isn't just lira to dollars, right? This is trading in general. This is having stocked up on cooking oil before prices surge even more, only to have prices drop 40% the following day. You just paid a 40% premium that you could have, you know, uh, gone that could have gone to buying a, a winter coat for your for your kid. So the reason though that I bring this up 
to consider um, what's happening on the ground and how that relates to market risk is because Lira volatility will lead to domestic social unrest. It already is. Erdogan's approval ratings are at record lows. You combine that with someone who's increasingly power hungry and facing re-election next year. That is a combination that leads to geopolitical volatility. Okay? Because you have um, clearly this individual, Erdogan, who has, you know, hijacked the central bank and therefore the economy. So everybody knows that he is, for, for better or for worse, if good things happen or bad things happen, he is the one who is responsible for the economy, him and his, his decisions. It's not a group of people, it's, it's this one person, right? And if the economy continues, continues to deteriorate on the ground, um, in real and hits people like in in their real lives on an everyday basis, then what you're and you happen to also have the powers of you know the state, you're going to potentially cause some sort of external geopolitical volatility to distract away from the economic misery happening on the ground. You so you know you add you add in like a Russia Ukraine nat gas supply. Uh, an energy crunch, all that kind of thing, like into the mix. Lira volatility can exacerbate geopolitical volatility, which then feeds into commodity volatility and then eventual global risk volatility. Okay? So keep an eye on the Lira and Turkey because, you know, they can't, the Turkish citizens can't speak out freely, so we don't passively just receive headlines. So it's on us to proactively look at what's happening on the ground in Turkey. Okay, so that's how the lira matters in the bigger picture as well, on a you know broader than the just you know sort of financial markets uh, angle. All right, so uh, I hope that everyone has a happy and healthy and safe New Year. If I don't see you uh, later this week, if markets blow up, you'll probably likely see me. Um, but if not, I will see you in 2022. Uh, I will get there first because I am in Tokyo. So unless you live in New Zealand or Australia, I will beat you to it. But um, it's been a pleasure uh, for 2021. And uh, please take a look at my video and we'll see you next year. Thanks a lot. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.